Stella. 30 seconds. Still till 8? There's a certain difficulty in being precise about the time. Rashid Bet? You can look at your computer. Doesn't it give you the time from heaven? So, um, the Pasha, the Pasha, we're getting back to Pashiyot, is Shmini. Shmini is, um, you know, the Pasha that talks about kosher food and non-kosher food, these kind of animals, those kind of animals. We're not going to deal with that tonight. What we're going to deal with is the Torah's description of the story of Nadav Va'avihu. Nadav Avihu are the two of the four sons of Aaron HaKohen who were in line, of course, to inherit. They, they themselves became Kohanim and they were the inheritors, would have been the inheritors of the mantle of Aaron HaKohen except they did something wrong and they died. They were punished and they were killed. This is described in the Torah as follows. If you look at the sheet, the Pesuk says, V'eichu b'nei Aaron nadav aviyu, ish machtato. Right, a machta is a, uh, is a frying pan. Fancy word for frying pan is sensor. I never heard anybody use that word, but it's like appears in, uh, in the King James Version of the translation of the Bible, which is more or less until Kaplan came along, the translation that everybody uses, and sort of kind of like the Korean tra- translation, the Korean English translation is basically King James. It's all, all King James. Uh, so they, they like the word sense. They put a fire in this frying pan. Ketoret is uh, an incense sacrifice. It was, it was a certain formula. Uh, this little, this kind of spice, and that kind of spice. And you put it all together and it made a nice smell. Right, that's a ketoret. A ketoret is a, a, a sacrifice um, that had a nice smell to it. For some reason, the ketoret is seen as being very pleasing to heaven. It, it, it somehow, uh, the Rambam in the Moradavuchim has a much more pragmatic approach to the ketoret. The Rambam says that since the Beit HaMikdash was a place where many sacrifices were given, and sacrifices produce blood, there was not only the blood that you use as part of the procedure of the sacrifice, but animals have a lot of blood, and you've got to drain off the blood. So if you're in a place where they're draining off blood, you know, probably some of it doesn't get drained off. And in a short time, the smell of blood uh, can become a little annoying. So the Raman says the ketoret was the overwhelming smell, right? The smell that it was like, um, like perfume. You know, it was a smell on top of a smell, right? It doesn't, like the underneath smell is still there, but if you like, keep blasting away with the, uh, with the over smell, so you kind of only smell that. So that's the ketoret. The Rambam in the Mora Nebuchim says it was pragmatic. But we see the Ketoret also as being a very significant act. The Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippurim went to God Ketoret, they went to the Kodesh Kodesh. It's like very, uh, we're not explain, but it, it makes sense to say that, that Nadava Avihu were looking for something that was significant to do in the Beit HaMikdash. They knew there was such a thing as a Ketoret, but for them, at this time, like Zar, the word Zar means, uh, in modern Hebrew, means foreign. But you know that in the book of Ayikra, in the book of Ayikra, it says several times, Hazar 
Hakarev Yumat. The czar, the foreigner, who comes close, who brings a korban, meaning if you bring a korban and you don't have the right to bring it, you don't, shouldn't bring it, uh, uh, what are those words? Right? That's called a czar. A czar is somebody who oversteps a boundary. Right? There's a boundary. And the boundary says, says that uh, only a Kohen, Gadol, Anyom HaKippurim can go into the Kodesh, Kodeshim. If somebody else wanted to do that, he would be considered a czar. So an Eish Zara is true. It's a, it's a, a non-necessary uh, uh, fire. But in the way that the book of Vayikra teaches us to think about things, it was overstepping a boundary. It wasn't that there was no Eshara, there was no Ketoret brought in the Beit HaMikdash, certainly there was. And there was a Ketoret brought every day in the Beit HaMikdash, but there were boundaries. There were times when it should be done, and times it should not be done. So they brought in Eshara, it meant that they were overstepping a boundary. And they were doing something that the Beit HaMikdash was dedicated to avoid which is that the Beit HaMikdash is a place of boundaries, right? There's a, an inner boundary, there's an inner Kodesh Kadashim, there's a Kodesh, there's a, a Chatser, there, there's the problem of Tumah Vitara, which we learn about starting in this parasha, but, but Tumah Vitara said, if you're Tamei, then there's a boundary that you cannot step over. And the Ramban explained to us the Ramban explained this, that this idea of boundaries was born for Am Yisrael at the time of Matan Torah. That when Moshe Rabbeinu came down to B'nai Yisrael in Perikutet and Shemot, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down for the first instructions about, uh, about what B'nai Yisrael are going to do. So there were certain instructions they had to they had to go to the mikveh, they had to clean their clothes, they had to, they had to act in a certain way, but primarily they had to understand that they could not go beyond the boundary, whatever the boundary would be, right? And, and the boundary in this case was the foot of Har Sinai. Only Moshe Rabbeinu and his particular entourage could go further, and finally they also had to stop and that, that only Moshe Rabbeinu could continue to the top of Har Sinai. So this is parallel, according to the Ramban, but it, I think it makes good sense by the Beit HaMikdash, where the Kohen Gadol is the only one who can do this, other Kohanim and the other ones could do that. People who have to bring a Korban can bring a Korban, but if you don't have to bring a Korban, you can't. You can't bring a Korban that you don't have to, that you don't have to bring. So the Ramban says, it's all about boundaries. It's all about boundaries. Uh, this is the Ramban. The Ramban I'm referring to is the Ramban at the beginning of the parasha of Truma, at the end of the book of, of Shemot. That, and and this, is, you know, this is an interesting lesson. Interesting idea because in modernity, the word boundary has become very much part of educational uh, idea, uh, theory, and psychology, right? I mean, like, like, what does it mean to grow up? Like, what changes take place between a baby, a child, and a young adult? Well, the baby, and the, 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 even when the baby gets a little bigger, doesn't know so clearly about boundaries. It doesn't know and then he meets up with, um, he or she meets up with toilet training, which you probably have heard of uh, now and then. Now, that is, if you like, have a Freudian inclination, you understand that that creates your whole world view. You know, there's everything. Every you grow up, either you can, like, take it, or you can't. Right? Now somebody comes and says to you, blah, 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 and you say, nothing? So that means you are well toilet trained. But if you lose it, 
every time somebody says something, so then there was a problem at that stage in your, in your development. So boundaries in modernity have become very important, but it's important to understand also that according to the Ramban, the nation of Israel, right, Am Yisrael, was made into a nation at, at Batan Torah by teaching them that the world that they were moving into was a world of boundaries. And we can say that, uh, that uh, the interesting thing, uh, the interesting thing about the boundaries in, uh, in the book, in the Parsha of Shmini, the, the boundaries of you can eat these animals, but you can't eat those animals, it's important to understand that, they, that those, those uh, distinctions have absolutely no meaning to us. There's no way to understand why uh, uh, you can't eat a hamburger made out of camel meat, and you can eat a hamburger made out of cow's meat. There have been attempts in the last 3,000 years to explain this difference, but they have all failed. The only thing that we can say, the only thing that we can say, I think, securely is that, you know, science is about making distinctions. In other words, before you can talk about it, you have to make distinctions. You have to have a, uh, a table of elements in order to, be, to have chemistry. You have to be able to say, like, so what are we working with, right? You have to make distinctions. That the distinctions that we make are based on principles that we can understand. But the Torah makes distinctions based on principles that we cannot understand. We don't understand why somebody is Tomei and somebody else is Tahar. We understand the rules, but we don't understand how it works. We don't understand how... Uh, if a person comes into contact with a dead body, that therefore he can't go into the Beit HaMikdash. What kind of sense is that? There's a mitzvah. If a person sees a mate mitzvah in the, in, on the road, and there's no one to take care of him, so he's obliged to help in the burial of that mate mitzvah. So like, a person's come from doing a great mitzvah, he goes to the Beit HaMikdash, he knocks on the door, and that, you know, and the thing, you know, have this electronic gate going into the Beit HaMikdash, you try to go in, it starts ringing. And it says, you're Tameh. You can't go. There's no way for us to understand that. But since the Torah is somehow also seen as divine intelligence, right, the kind of the God's way of looking at things, so we understand. We understand. Just like we make distinctions, and those distinctions are important to us, apparently, HaKadosh Baruch Hu also makes distinctions. And, and let us in on it. Right? said, listen, uh, I'm doing you a favor. I'm telling you about Tobi the Kohar. I, I didn't have to. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't have to tell us about Tobi. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a, a great favor because distinctions create the world in which you live. So if you could distinguish between uh, uh, various chemicals, if you could distinguish between physical, uh, physical events, so that's great. It makes life, uh, like it integrates you into the world in which you are living. Tumavataro, limits in the Beit HaMikdash, integrate you more into the world of God, of God's understanding. And, and so the Torah says, just like there are distinctions that exist for uh, for people who are scientists, who are trying to understand the world and, and, and kind of organize it in their minds, well, there are distinctions that God has, uh, like to a or the difference between a camel and a, and a cow. I mean, you may not see that there's a difference, but surely there is a difference. So Eshara, we'll go back to the Eshara. Eshara is Hazar HaKarev Yumat, that the distinction, that the boundary has been abrogated by Nadav Avihu. And then it says, Asher Lotzi Va'ota. It was Asher Lotzi Va'ota. And that's the answer. Like, when is it all right? When can you go across the boundary? When God says, do it. And when God says, don't do it, you can't go across the boundary. So this seems really straight, uh, straightforward, except that, that they'd say, Heshvi Lutmei Hashem Tochalotam, 
The punishment was extremely severe. We understand that Mekoshesh Eitzim, the one who collected the trees on Shabbos, uh, he wasn't punished right away. He wasn't the Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know. He turned to God. What should we do? What's the din? Right here, right from heaven, poof, it comes down, the fire comes down, and the Davavi are dead. Why the severity? Why was it that this was so important for heaven that that Nadava Avihu should be killed on the spot during the act in which they were bringing this Eish Tzara? And then you have uh, what is clearly the most interesting pasuk in the parasha, maybe in the, in the Chumash of Ayikra, maybe in the entire Torah, right? But that I leave to you. The pasuk says... Vayome Moshel Aaron. So here's Aaron. He's just lost his two oldest sons. What were they doing, the two oldest sons? Let's say they were trying to do a good thing. They weren't robbing a bank. They weren't doing something that was obviously prohibited. They were kind of saying, well, it's true that there's a boundary. But maybe the boundary is not always that important. Maybe enthusiasm knocks down the boundary. Maybe devotion knocks down the boundary. Maybe, you know what they call today, frumkite. The very frumkite knocks down, knocks down the boundary. That was, that was the Dava views. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is looking at his brother Aaron, and both of them are bereft. Both of them are mourners, Moshe and Aaron, but Aaron, of course, is the father. He's the greater mourner. He says to his brother, here, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, he knows the whole Torah, he knows Torah Shabbat, he knows Torah Shabbat, he knows everything, he knows the right thing to say. So what does he say to Aaron? He says, Hu Hashem Lemur. Oh, he says to him, Oh, this is a good shtickle to I learned the Tosus. He says to him, I just learned the Tosus. Can you imagine, here's Aaron, he has two sons lying dead in front of him, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go to tell him like a, like a drasha that he heard, a chiddush. You know, they call it a chiddush. You know, here, you, you feel good? Here's a chiddush for you. What's the chiddush? The chiddush is, Hu Hashem God has already said this. That's what it sounds like the pasuk says. Diber Hashem Leimor. Leimor introduces a quote. A quote which is non-existent, at least in the Chumash. We never heard of this quote. But the words are, Bekrovai Ekadesh. Bekrovai Ekadesh. Those who are closest to me, those who are closest to me, Ekadesh. God speaking. I will be sanctified. What is I will be, what does Kadosh mean? I mean that's like also a, one of those words. Kadosh means, don't go there, it's Kadosh. Right? In other words, God is there. God is there. You can't just go. You can't just go uh, uh, to see God. Uh, this, was, uh, this was what happened to Moshe Rabbein. Right? Because the place that you... Uh, I'll talk about the burning bush. Remember the burning bush? Something, something special. Avram talked to God. He didn't have to take off his shoes. Yitzchak talked to God. Yaakov talked to God. Moshe Rabbeinu take off his shoes. I mean, I don't know taking off shoes. It means like, you know, it's significant. You don't just, like, shoes are full of, uh, uh, as, as they said when the Malachim came to see Avram Av- 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 the, the shoes were full of avak avodazor, right? The, the dust of idolatry. So I don't so you can metaphorize it a little bit. You know, people walk, and they walk here. Like, you go someplace before you figure out you shouldn't be there, right? You know, like, uh, like you go to Las Vegas, and there's a sign that says, uh, whatever it says, one-armed bandit. It says, you say, well, let me go see if that's really it. You know, like, the sign, it says, uh, 50, 50 meters high, it says, gambling. You say, I don't see what it's like, you know, you go and say, oh, it's really bad, and you run out, you know, but meanwhile, your shoes get full of all that uh, bad stuff, so that's, that's a vodka of a it's like even Malachim, 
you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it because wherever you go, there's something, you know, there's something they have to protect yourself from. So, those who are close, so that's what Kodesh means. Kodesh is God is there, so you can't go there. You know, there's something, I mean, it's similar to the idea of boundaries, but it's very much about HaKadosh Baruch right? The word Kadosh. Kadosh, God, God is there. The Krovaya Kadesh. My Kedusha will be proven by those close to me. Right? Anyway, anyway, I mean, look, in all honesty, there's no way to understand what that means. I mean, you have to look at Rashi. I'll call Pnei Kol Ha'am Ekavet. Ekavet. And because of Krovaya Kadesh, then God will be honored. Right? Pnei Kol Ha'am Ekavet. Vaidom Aharon. Aharon hasn't said anything. So what is why he told Aaron, he kept quiet. Aaron kept quiet. What, did he, what, what was he keeping quiet about? I mean, he heard this word from Moshe Rabbeinu. He liked it, he liked it. He didn't like it, he didn't like it. But what's why he told Aaron? What does that mean? What does it mean? So let's see, let's see how, Rashi, uh, how Rashi explains it. It's like from Pasuk Gimel. Who Asher Diber? Eichan Diber. So Rashi says, and this is what Rashi, of course, is based on the Midrash, as we will see. Everything in Rashi comes from the, from the Midrash. He says, Hechandi shama Israel Hashem is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu about the, about the Mishkan and the oil aid in the Mishkan. Right, the word Adati, the root is Vav Ayin Dalet. It means to a meeting place. But sometimes the oil mo'ed is tr- it's the same word. Mo'ed is va'ad, vav ayin dalet. Sometimes it's tra- translated as the tent of the meeting or something like that, which always reminds me of American Indians somehow. But, but uh, oil mo'ed, oil mo'ed is good enough for us. So he says, v'no'adetisha l'vnei Yisrael v'nichdash Kavod is a word that describes the presence of God. Right? What exactly that presence is and how it's distinguished from some other presence is not so much uh, 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 the concern of Rashi. Uh, it, it's the concern of Kabbalists. The Kabbalists were very much involved with that word Kavod. But since Rashi is not going to deal with it, so we won't deal with it either. But he quotes the Midrash, and the Midrash says, Al pichre tikri bichvodi, ela bimechubadi. Now what is al tikre? What is al tikre? Al tikre, as you know, you know, that Hebrew is written in the Sefer Torah. The Sefer Torah is written unvocalized. And because there are no vowels in Hebrew, you can read words in different ways. Of course, there is a kind of proper way to read the words when you lay, when someone reads from the Torah. But that doesn't mean, but the system, the way Hebrew works, as, a, as opposed, for example, to English, where there are vowels, you may have heard. A, E, I, O, U, of vowels, which mean that they change the way you pronounce the consonants that precede the vowels. You could say ba, you could say bo, you could say be, right? That's a consonant, bo, plus a vowel, a, o, e. And Hebrew didn't have vowels. So eventually, at quite a late date in uh, Jewish history, let's say the 7th, the 8th century CE, they decided that enough was enough and they invented vowels in the Jewish way. In the Jewish way, not only did they invent vowels, but they invented three different systems of vocalization so that people who traveled from one place to another couldn't read what the other people had written. That was very clever. But eventually, eventually the system that we use today universally, which is called the Tiberian 
vocalization system one. And today, the other systems are grist for the scholarly mill. You know, scholars generally deal with things that have either been forgotten or were never very important. So, scholars do that. We all use, we read Ashkenazim and Sfaradim and Temanim. Everybody uses the system that is called Tiberian. That's what it's called. Why it's called Tiberian, I cannot explain. Because it did not really come from Tiberius. But okay, it's called Tiberian. I mean, there's a reason. But I don't know it. So, now this is a little bit more than an altikre. This is because altikre would mean change the vocalization. But here you're actually changing the word. It's like the Chachamim said, well, since you could change the vocalization, so we'll change the word. In, in, in other words, they saw this word, kvodi, as having a remez in it that would explain this pasuk that we are struggling with. Amalo Moshe Aaron, Aaron Achis, so Moshe Rabbeinu said to Aaron, my brother, I knew that this sanctification would have to take place. What, is, what does sanctification mean in this case? That somehow all of B'nai Yisrael would understand that the presence of God in that place prevents them from stepping over the boundary, from doing something that God doesn't want them to do. Right, that had to be driven home somehow. Or in the language of the Ramban, as we said, that the Mishkan, that the Mishkan was Har Sinai. The Mishkan was Har Sinai. See, just like a Har Sinai, you couldn't go beyond a certain point, so too in the Mishkan. But this idea had to be driven home that this was the will of God. Because the people could misunderstand and say, all the mitzvot that God gives us in relationship to the Mishkan, the Beit HaMikdash, and the Korbanot, are commandments. But who says I can't do it my own way? Who says I can't do it enthusiastically? Who says I can't come at a time when the, the halakha doesn't demand it of me? So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Aaron, And I knew that it would be me or you. One of them, because I, Moshe Rabbeinu, was the Kohen Gadol until the eighth day of the Miluim. And now you, uh, you, Aaron, a Kohen, have become the Gadol. So who's the person who should be the, uh, 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 should, should teach this lesson to B'nai Yisrael? You or me? Achshav ali shehem gedolim mimeni umimcha. Nadav aviu. It was neither you, Aaron, nor me, Moshe. Who was it? Nadav Aviv. Now I see, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they are greater than you and I. So, according to Rashi, according to the Medrash, right, according to Rashi, according to the Medrash, what's happening is something that had to happen. And Moshe Rabbeinu knew that it had to happen, but he didn't know who the actors in this had to happen were. The second thing that we learn is that Nadav Aviu did this, according to this Medrash, did this because of their greatness, and not because of their small-mindedness, or not because of what the Medrash says, maybe they were a little drunk, but even a little drunk could be explained as having something to do with greatness. It was their greatness that brought them there, and so Moshe Rabbeinu said, I see now that they are greater than you or than I. And it's hard to understand what Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about. I just, uh, I don't know, if, uh, let's look at the, at the Medrash at the bottom of the page. The Medrash says, uh, in the second line, Z'ad of Dibur, Ne'ma'lo Moshe B'Sinai, V'lo Nodalo Ad Sheba Ma'asel Yado. So 
that somehow there was a hint that someone would have to give up his life in order that the people should understand what the Beit HaMikdash is really about. He says, Vayidi Sabu Shema Obi Obecha Habayta Zemit Kadesh Atoru Di Yuaron Omi Moshe Rabbeinu Achshav Shnei Banecha Gidolim Mimeni Mimcha Kevan Sheshama Aaron Shebana Virei Shemaimim Shatak When he heard that his sons were great, greatly devoted to heaven, he had nothing to say. And he received, he received, that's why the Torah says, Shatak, because he was given Schar. What the Schar was exactly uh, is at the end. That the next parasha is a parasha that is directed from God to Aaron. That was the greatest schar, the greatest reward that you could get in those days, in that in that world. So you see, so you see that there is this idea. Like we don't know. If you look at the first Rashi, the Rashi we skipped. Rabbi Elazar Obel Omeitu Bnei Aaron Ela Yedei Shehoru Halacha B'Fnei Moshe Rabban. So Nadav and Avi were bad guys. They said, it's mutter. And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't tell them it's mutter. Right? Didn't say you could bring in an Esara into the Beit HaMikdash. They said, we'll do it. So that's Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Yishmael, Omesh, to Yayin, Nechusun, Lamikdash. Teda, Shachar Mitratan, is here, and Otorim, Shalikon, Tzush, to Yayin, Lamikdash. Mashallah Melech, Ben Bayit, I did this story in the Midrash that uh, somebody had, a king had a servant. And the servant uh, served the king devotedly. But then one day the servant went and he stood in front of, uh, he went and he went window shopping. And he saw one of these electronic stores and he went into the electronic stores and his eyes were bulging out of his head. And the king saw that and he killed him. So, at the end you say, we don't know why the king killed, killed him, but we know that he didn't like the fact that he was in the electronic store. That's what the major says, changing electronic stores to something else. So it would seem from the first Rashi that Nadav and Avihu were bad guys. And it would seem from the second Rashi that Nadav and Avihu had to happen. And there had to be somebody. And the question for Moshe Rabbeinu was, would it be Moshe Rabbeinu or would it be Aaron Akoet? And he was surprised only to find out that it was Nadav Avil, but the Medrash Rashi. And the Medrash clearly state that Nadav Avil were righteous, were greater than, than Moshe, and, uh, Moshe and Aaron. So what is it? Um, I, mean, I mean, is it possible somehow to resolve all of this? So I want to tell you I want to tell you something that's, that's in the, something that the Meishi Loach said. There's a Gemara in, um, there's a Gemara in Chagigo. I'm, I'm sorry, the back page of the Mekorot didn't come out, so you'll have to look it up yourself. There's a Gemara in Chagigo. There's a Gemara in Chagigo. Antaf Gimel Amir Aleph. Chagigo is a, is an unfortunate masachet. Uh, they don't learn in yeshivot. And uh, so the only place you can learn is in Dafyomi. So you, in four years or five years, you can come and learn this daf uh, in Chagiga. So there's a drosh in Chagiga. Dorash Rova. Dorash Rova. Rav was learning with his Talmidim, and somebody asked him about a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. What is, what is it about, this Pasuk in Shir Hashirim? What is the Pasuk? Pasuk is in Paragimel in Shir Hashirim. <coughs> the Pasuk says, just a second, I had it a second. Ma yafu pa'amayich pa'ne'alim bat nadif. Ma yafu. Yafu is yafe. Yafe. 
פעמיים, פעמיים ה-footsteps, right? בנעלים, נעלים I guess is like נעליים. How beautiful it is to watch you walk, you know, like the, 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 on the simple level, uh, you know, you see that the, the lover is in love with every part of the beloved, right? That's the way it sounds in, uh, in Shira Shirim. And the Pasuk ends with the words, Bat Nadif. Bat Nadif. Now, what does the word Nadif mean? Kol Nadif Leif. The people who brought um, who brought donations to the Mishkan in the desert were called Nidivelev. They had big hearts. They had hearts that uh, that directed them to share, to give up the wealth that they had, at least in part, and donate and donate to the Mishkan. So I read the Pasuk again. Ma'yafu pa'amayich ba'na'alim be'it bat'nadiv. So Robert says, you know what this means? What this Pasuk is, remember feet, shoes, yafeh, bat'nadiv. Right, so Robert says, you know what this Pasuk is really saying? We're talking about pshat. We're not talking about you know, mystical interpretations or about the love of the Shekhinah for B'nai Yisrael. Don't even the Simeon, it's got to mean something. Right? Why did he say that? So, Rava says, Rava says, How lovely are the feet of B'nai Yisrael when they go to Yerushalayim on the Shalosh Rigalim uh, to fulfill the mitzvah of Ali Ala Regal. So we see, we see that contrast, right? When the angels came to Avram Avinu, the angels came to Avram Avinu, he offered them the opportunity to wash their feet because, as Chazal said, and as we mentioned before, their feet were covered with the dust of idolatry. Because wherever you went, it was idolatrous. Not that they performed idolatrous actions, but every place they went, there was idolatry. Rava says, there's one exception to this idea that feet often take you to the wrong place, and that is Aliyala Regal. And about Aliyala Regal, you can say not only you are doing the right thing, or that you're, you're, you're happily doing the right thing, but you could say your feet are doing the right thing. Only about Ali Alaregal. That's what Rava, that's what Rava said. And so he said, he said, Kamanaim, uh, how beautiful are the feet of Yisrael when they go uh, up on the Regalim uh, to the Beit HaMikdash. And then the question was, what is Bat Nadiv? The Pasuk ends with those two words, Bat, daughter, Nadiv. Somebody who is charitable. Somebody who gives happily. He says, Rava, remember Rava? Rava, he says, Bitoshel Avram Avinu Nadiv. They suddenly become like the children of Avram Avinu. He was called Nadiv. Nadive Amim Nesvu Im Eloke Avraham. Nadive Amim. Get together. They all to get together with Avram Avinu. With Avram Avinu. This is a Possig in Tilim. Right? This is a Possig. Only with Abraham. Only Abraham is called a Nadif. Only Abraham is called a Nadif. Rashi says, Shinikra Nadif. Al Shem. What was the charity that Abraham Avinu gave? I mean, the Div wave in the desert, they gave money for the Mishkan. But why is Abraham Avinu called Nadif? So Rashi says, "Shenikrad Adiv al Shem Shenadvu Bedavol Libol Hakir Bar O." 
Avram Avinu was the one who, who on his own, he, he, he went and he said, there's got to be a creator in the world. There's got to be God in the world. And he went on his own and he did this. Based on this drasha, based on this drasha, the Meshilach, remember the Meshilach, Hishbitzer, he always has interesting things to say about, in the end of the first volume of the Meshilach, in the end of the first volume, there's a small, there's a section about this Gemara in Chagiga. If you look it up. And the, 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 the Meshilach says, the Meshilach, I'll summarize it, which is always a bad idea, but I'll summarize it the way I want to summarize it. And if you want to learn it yourself and come and complain, you can, but I'm not so worried. But other Abba, I mean, I'll full disclosure, I'll full disclosure. What the Meshilach says is, you know, uh, you know this, there's an essential difference between a gare, between a gare convert, and someone who's born Jewish. He says, what's our essential difference? I mean, of course, a convert's a convert, so there's a born Jewish. He says, no. He says, you don't understand. A convert has this great opportunity to do something that he wanted to do. To be what he wants to be. Right? He has this, this kind of special enthusiasm that somebody who's born Jewishly, or born, and brought up regular, but you don't have that. Like somebody who's Jewish can't get up when he's 15 and say, yeah, I'm going to become Jewish. Too bad. You're already Jewish. Right? You can't, you can't uh, have that kind of enthusiasm. It's denied you. And everybody knows that sometimes Gerim, you know, very often, put those of us who are not Gerim to shame. Either with their enthusiasm, or with their uh, devotion, or their interest in details, or whatever it is. So, the nation says, listen, we have two kinds of genes inside of us. We have the Ger gene from Avramavino. And only Avramavino, because Avramavino's children were the children of Avramavino. So they were different. They didn't have to discover God. They were taught about God. Avramavino, they basically had So every one of us, according to the Meshilach, has this in us. We have this you sold it's called like this foundation, this firmament of uh, being the way we are, because we've always been that way, to some extent, right? Our fathers, our grandfathers, mothers, and grandmothers, all the way back as far as we can imagine, have always been this way. But then there's in us, there's this, uh, there's this, Avamavino uh, Avamavino a gene, it says, Let's be, well, what can we say about ourselves? Let's be more than. Let's not just do what the Torah demands of us, but let's go beyond what the Torah demands of us. We have it, each one of us, inside of us. We have that according to the Meshilach. And so what Rava said, what Rava said is that it's built into the Torah. It's built in the Rava. Remember Rava? Abaya and Rava? Rava says it's built into the Torah. What's built in the Torah? Well, it's built in the Torah. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do the other thing. But then, you can also be extra. You could do extra. You could go, you could go to Yerushalayim on the Regalim. You could do something really hard. You could do something that's not regular. That's extraordinary. And you can, you can be that way. You can be that way. So that it's reasonable. It's reasonable for religious people, especially young religious people. I mean, maybe there's a contradiction here saying young and reasonable. But it's reasonable for younger people, for young people, as we see today, to explore uh, a more uh, devoted kind of uh, devotion, a more dedicated kind of uh, mitzvah personality, 
And whether you call it today in Israel, whether you call it Chabakuk, or you call it Nananach, or you call it Merkaz Arav, or you call it Harhamor, whatever you call it, whatever you call it, all, all amounts to the same thing that, you know, people looked around and they said, it's all kind of old and tired, isn't it? It's all like it's been this way forever. Maybe it could be a little different. Maybe it could be a little different. So everybody finds, everybody gravitates to a little bit, not everybody. The ones who gravitate, gravitate to the little bit of difference that they think is meaningful to them. But according to the Meshidullah, that's who we are. We are this combination of let's do it the way it's been done always and let's fight for the independent spirit. And so if you connect the Meshilov, the Meshilov doesn't say what I'm about to say. Well, if he said what I said above, that's probably disputable, right? But I think he did. But what I'm about to say is based on the Meshilov, but he didn't say it. So according to Rashi, and according to the Medrash, Nadava Avihu, if they were righteous, if they were righteous, had it in them to say that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to bring a, us to bring a Torah in the Mishkan at appropriate times, that it's not unreasonable that my desire to be closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu should enable me to bring a Torah even at an inappropriate time. And so that the Torah had to teach Nadav Aviv, and through Nadav Aviv had to teach all of the Nei Yisrael, had to teach all of the Nei Yisrael, that, <coughs> that there were limits. Even enthusiasm has limits. Even uh, a, a desire, a holy desire, to be close to Dakarish Bochu has limits. And that's why, that's why, there's, always, there's, a, there's a certain kind of tension. There was even limits are not always clearly defined. They don't always present us with limits. Right? Uh, limits of time, and limits of place, and limits of action. Uh, it would seem, it would seem that they are very precise. But we all know, we all know that Zmanim are not precise. And Shiurim, and we just had Pesach, right? You know, Pesach uh, is always uh, as always the spirit. You know, if you have if you have uh, sons or uh, in yeshiva or uh, daughters in seminary, and you try to have a seder, and you get up to you get up to the question of what's the shear, you might as well go home. You know, it's like uh, uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, the children involved don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> And if you could see them 20 years later, you'd see that they would be saying the same thing to their children about the annoyance. Uh, the same thing is true about Zmanim. It's very hard to figure out how come you daven this time, how come you daven that time. Uh, can you daven early mincha? Can you not daven early mincha? What about the Smeasa Omar? I mean, it's like, it's like uh, um, you know, you can argue about it. You can argue about all these things. You, you know, uh, uh, Chabad, Friday night, they make Kiddush four hours later than everybody else. And they say, of course, they're right. Everybody else is wrong. But, uh, see, that's, that's what, what I mean is that limits are also a subject, you know, for enthusiasm and, uh, and greater, uh, greater uh, uh, attachment. So we see Madava view. According to the Bedras that we learned that was recorded in Rashi, were the righteous ones who were chosen to give this lesson to Am Yisrael. That even though the Mishka was the meeting place between HaKadosh Baruch Moshe Rabbeinu and Am Yisrael, it was only at the times designated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu that those meetings could take place. And similarly, even though mitzvahs in the Mishka, doing a mitzvah, bringing a korban, bringing the Ketoret, was a reflection of the enthusiasm of the people, that enthusiasm could not spill over and become a matter 
for doing things in the wrong time at the wrong at the wrong place. And the lesson was taught us by Nadav Aviv, according to the Medrash quoted by Rashi, were righteous. They were chosen because of their righteousness, and so to say, if for them it didn't work, it's not going to work for anybody else. And it was a lesson that everybody would learn and would know. And this all harkens back to the Ramban, who taught us that the limits at Matan Torah, the Gvulot, right, the Gvulot, for which there was a very severe punishment <coughs> declared by Kodesh Baruch Hu for anybody who, who breaches those boundaries and limits, those uh, boundaries and limits were part of Matan Torah. It wasn't just that there's a parallel between the way the Torah was given and the way the Bishkan was organized. It was rather that, it was rather that, uh, uh, even though we strive, at least that we say we strive, for a more unified feeling about ourselves in the world of God, with God, like we somehow would like to feel that we are, that we are uh, closer to God. But that closeness, that closeness in Olam Hazer seems to have seems to have limits. Seems to have limits. I, uh, I can tell you, uh, maybe a takeoff of something that Rav Huttner wrote. Uh, you know, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down uh, from Har Sinai, the first time he ate Shnei Luchot Avanim. Shnei Luchot Avanim. Two tablets. So you say, how come he had two tablets? Why couldn't HaKadosh Bochu put the Aserz HaDibros on one tablet? And what, okay, Aserz HaDibros, so they would be engraved on this stone. Why, why were there two of them? And so Avodna points out that, if all, we know that one tablet, the, fir- the first five Dibros, Abain Adam Lamakom, and the second are so the first represents our relationship to heaven, the second our relationship to man is, is that they could. They're not, it's not automatic that they come together. It's not something that, that is part of uh, the Torah. It's something we have to work at. Really we, have to, we have to accomplish, accomplish on our own this kind of Fusing together the Ben Adam and the Ben Adam Chavira, so that all of these all of these ideas, I think, uh, you know, come together somehow. I think that the Ishbitzer would have mentioned Nadav Aviu if he would have remembered, or maybe he did. Who knows? We don't. Uh, it's not. It's not a complete work by any means. But his reference to the Gemara Chagiga is that. There was like a place for exuberance in in uh, the uh, system, which is going up to Shalayim every year when the, when your feet are are uh, beautiful. They have nothing to do. They don't connect to anything which is idolatrous. Have a good Shabbos. Uh,